0: Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Epimonia's Safer Room podcast. Before I continue, I want to take this time to recognize what's happening in the United States right now. As a Black-owned company, Epimonia stands wholeheartedly with the Black Lives Matter movement. A large number of refugees in the United States right now come from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Burundi, Somalia, Sudan, and other African countries, which means that they are all Black men and women living in the U.S. The majority of our employees have attended protests in Minneapolis and in other cities, as well as taken it upon themselves to support the cause, both financially and through educating themselves and their peers. Black Lives Matter is very much ingrained in our mission and we hope to continue to further our mission of supporting refugees while also doing our part to support black lives. This portion of the episode would normally be spent talking about our company and mission. So if you would like to learn more about how Epimonia supports refugees in the US through fashion accessories, Visit us at epimonia.com or at epimonia.mn on Instagram and Twitter. The name of this podcast, Safer Room, comes from a quote from U.S. Iranian author Dina Nayeri. it is the obligation of every person born in a safer room to open the door when someone in danger knocks. Today's guest is fashion model and civil rights advocate Ifra Hashi. Hi, Ifra, How are you doing today?
1: Hi, I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, do you great. mind if we start with questions about your career and your experience as a hijabi role model and then get into questions about Black Lives Matter and what's going on after those? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. Okay, perfect. Um, so I want to start, if you don't mind, um, by calling attention to the fact that you didn't always wear your hijab as consistently as you do today. So That's can you correct. talk to us about the decision process that went into wearing your hijab more Consistently, and how it's affected your career and your personal life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I grew up. I'm
2: um, both my parents are Muslim. Alhamdulillah. Um, and I grew up in a very like faith-driven household. Um, my mother was never very like extremely strict, I should say, compared to I would say some of my other friends. Um, however, she did important like the importance of us covering and wearing our hijab. So I grew up when I was younger always wearing my hijab, always being covered. And I think like maybe when I got into my teens, obviously with like the culture clash of like growing up in America, obviously, and like wanting to like dress like your peers and, you know, look like everyone else, I guess. I just decided to like dress and not wear my hijab sometimes. Um, And then that kind of trailed into like, you know, my late teens. So I would just, I would be kind of on and off. I would wear my hijab when I wanted to. Other times I would, like, you know, do my hair, be out and about. Um, And then I think it was kind of after, like, my early 20s came about, um, I was just, like, very just trying to figure myself out, I guess you could say, doing a lot of self-reflection. And I just Mm -hmm. realized how important my faith is and how, like, it's really, like, the center of my life. So I kinda of just like made a commitment to myself that I felt like I should present like I wanted people to know when they saw me like this is a Muslim woman, like regardless of what I'm doing, um, I'm Muslim first. So I wanted to represent that in a good way. And I felt like I was at a point in my life where I was like, Hey, listen, I was trying to make some like huge career decisions, figure myself out at the same time. Um, but I wanted to be modest while doing everything that I was doing so that I could do it the right way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So it seems like that was a really pivotal decision as you knew that you were getting to the age where as a model, it would be very, very definitive for your career, whether you were going to be a hijabi model or a non-hijabi model. And you've spoken about how impactful it was for you to meet Ibtihaj Hajj the first hijabi woman Olympian, because of how important representation is. And I would argue that you are becoming a comparable role model to other hijabi girls and women in the U.S., especially from Somalia. Um, So can you talk about what that means to you and how you feel having made that decision to be a hijabi role model? Oh, yes, 100%. Um, I think it
2: was probably the best decision I ever made, and I'm happy that, like, I was at that point in my life where I reflected and I was like, hey, listen, this is what I want to do, because I could have easily went and, um, you know, not have worn my hijab, but I, felt like, I feel like it wouldn't have been as, A, impactful, and B, it just wouldn't have really been a representation of who I am, and I wouldn't have been true to who I am. I feel like, yes, of course, it's more difficult, the fact that, like, you know, I'm wearing a hijab because this isn't the norm, to be honest. Like, I know we have Iftihah, who's amazing, and she's doing great in her career field, and she's a hijabi woman, Um, and we have Hanima Avin, who's killing it, and there's so many other, like, models. I mean, not as many as, I like, you know, I wish we had, but, like, of course, there are women who are killing it in their career field, and they're wearing a hijab, but I knew that if I was going to do this, that I had to do it the right way and i wanted people to know me for who i was and for me to be true to who i am so i'm glad that i made that decision and i think it just makes it so much more worth it to have girls who look like me who are muslim who are Somali to see me and be like wow look at her like she's doing her she's following her dreams she's doing what she wants in life and she's not altering herself she's not trying to make herself look like. It's not really necessary. I should say someone she's not, but I'm not changing myself. I'm not sacrificing my beliefs or my faith to attain my dreams.
1: Mm-hmm. And so one of the career-defining moments for you, I think, was that you walked for Nike at New York Fashion Week, not only as, as a hijabi um, Somali-American model, but also as a completely freelance model. So do you yes. think that that moment in your career served you as how you're hoping to serve other models where it taught you that you could make it as a hijabi model and as a freelance model? Oh, yes, 100%. I think that
2: experience as, like, amazing and cool, and obviously, like, over the past, it was like checking something off of my bucket list.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
2: you just, like, that sentence in itself, like I went there as a freelance model first, first and foremost, not signed to a huge agency, not having huge, you know, big agency backing me up. And on top of that, I went there as a Somali and Muslim woman wearing a hijab. And I just want to say, like, I think Nike does a great job at, like, you know, inclusion and representing people of all different types. And that is so important because to me that was like, wow, I'm in New York Fashion Week. Okay, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) I'm checking something off my bucket list. But to look around the room, be in, like, rehearsal and just to see and be like, that's crazy that like this is okay, which is I'm mean, in a kind of way. It's kind of sad to say, but like it is acceptable and it is okay for me to be sitting here. Where there's times in my life where, for like, there with this career path that I'm trying to take, there are times that I sat there, kid you not, and I'm like, listen, like maybe I'm just going to get going to have to get comfortable like not wearing my hijab because this is not it. it this is hard. <laughs> like mm-hmm. no one's like you know what I mean. Like this is this is difficult. It makes it ten times harder, like, being a black woman, being a Muslim woman, being Somali, like, you have all these things that are, like, that kind of make you, all these elements that make you who you are, but in, they're kind of, like, against you, so there are times that I was, like, hey, listen, I should just take it but it's just that experience and me walking on that stage with my hijab on, it just made me feel so, so powerful, like, I don't know, I feel like I can't find another word to kind of explain, but, like, it was just honestly the most amazing experience in the world. And I know there's so many people who saw that and like saw power in it as well. Um,
1: But yeah, it was, it was really an awesome experience. It looks like a great show. And for anyone listening, if you do want to see more, um, Ifrah has a YouTube channel, Ifrah Hashi, where she did a video about the show that I watched, and it was a great video. And you talked in the video too about, how accommodating Nike was and how everyone at the show was accommodating for the hijabi woman and women who wanted to be, have a more modest dressing room, which I think is really great as well. Um, And so I'm wondering when you work as a Somali American and as hijabi, do you hold the large population of Somali refugees and Somali American immigrants living in the U.S. in your heart?
2: A hundred percent, I personally like given the fact that like i was I was born and raised here in America, um however, I feel like I'm deeply deeply still connected to my somali um my Somali roots, my somali background, and i just I just feel like a hundred percent that I'm a part of them, and my mom came to this country maybe like twenty five years ago and she came here as a refugee, not knowing a word of English not knowing anything, and she kind of just, like, made a life for herself, and she came here mm-hmm. and gave us the best life ever. So there's no way that I could ever, like, not feel connected to my Somali roots or, like, you know, the Somali refugee community.
1: So I do want to segue a little bit now into more Black Lives Matters questions.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: But there is another job that you did. Um You're a member of the Good Squad for Good American, yeah. which is relatively new, so congratulations for that. Thank um, you. Yeah, um, and so I saw that Good American participated in in the Pull Up for Change campaign, um, where companies are encouraged to, as they put it, pull up or shut up, where they reveal Mm -hmm. the Black representation um, on their staff, and then they also release a plan moving forward for more diversity. So I saw that Good American revealed that they had 15% Black representation, as well as a Black CEO and founder, and they also presented more steps moving forward. So, did you know how important diversity was to Good American when you joined, and was that important for you? And especially now, how has it been working with them, such a diverse and progressive company, during this time? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, it's been absolutely
2: amazing. I know going into it, um, I kind of knew about the company just cause, like from following them on Instagram, obviously. But I knew just kind of from the content that they posted that they were very big on representation. Um, and mm-hmm. I think also something that we have to Bring uh, like, keep in mind is like, I feel like representation, inclusion, and diversity are words that have been thrown around in like the fashion and beauty industry for like the last two years. I feel like it's been mm-hmm. coming up a lot because everyone's kind of like, you know, on this wave of like, okay, let's say we're diverse, let's say we're for representation. But there really wasn't a lot of brands that were kind of backing that up, to be honest. Um, I know with Good American and me making the decision to even like sign up and want to work with them, I just appreciated the fact that they really represented women of, like, all sizes who just all look different. Like, every time mm-hmm. I went to their page, I saw women that looked different. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, they really might be about what they're saying. So um, meeting everyone and just kind of, like, being a part of this entire journey, it was amazing. Like, I, they were so, they were so accommodating also and just, like, so appreciative of, like, the different in the room and just meeting all the girls who, like, made the Good Squad this year, um, we're just all from different backgrounds. Like, there's a girl who's Kurdish, there's a girl who has Asian background, there's me who's Somali, but we're just all so different, and to me, like, that was so empowering to meet these women and hear their stories and just, like, actually feel like you're a part of a family and, like, we're all from different backgrounds and different paths of life, Um, but I just, I was really happy that I was able to work with a brand who actually is about what
1: they're saying mm-hmm. and I imagine that not only that job but maybe some other jobs that you have or you had coming up have been delayed or changed in some way because of this yeah. COVID-19 pandemic but I've also seen um, that you've been active at protests and spreading information and material through social media about Black Lives Matter and you're also in Minneapolis which is the heart of the protest right now and so what yeah. has your experience been protesting in minneapolis and specifically protesting in minneapolis as a black woman yeah
2: um honestly it's been trying times it's been difficult um like you said with COVID 19 you know we're still in the middle of a pandemic so it's kind of crazy sometimes because i feel like people forget that Mm -hmm. um uh i have been like work has been slower obviously so i've had more time on my hands um just being at home spending time with my family um but of course like now we have this other like pandemic that we're fighting, um, and it, it's it's really sad, and it's, like, a lot. It's, very, uh, dra- it's very emotionally draining, but I'm really happy that I've been able to be healthy enough to, like, be outside um, and have the strength to, like, be able to protest and, like, actually be a part of this. Like, for me to be outside in these streets that I drive down every single day and, like, see all this madness, it's mm-hmm. scary, but at the same time, it's empowering. And I see yeah. that because I look around and I see so many different people, so many different neighbors, allies, whatever you want to call it. And everyone is outside for the same purpose and everyone is feeling this pain and everyone is just together in this for once. And it's like, it's so beautiful to see that looking around. Um, of course you think of, you know, the reason we're out here together and it makes you a little bit sad, but to be able to look mm-hmm. around. And I've been to marches, I've been going to all these protests and I just, like, thousands of people come together and you look around and everyone doesn't look the same. And to me, I feel like Minneapolis has definitely, like, as a community, we have definitely showed out and, like, came together during these trying times to, like, be there for one another, and I think it's so beautiful.
1: Yeah, what is the energy like in Minneapolis, not only during protests, because I, I can only imagine how energetic the city is during a protest, but also in the mm-hmm. moments in between protests? Um. Oh, my God, it's changed a lot. I feel like, I mean, of
2: course, you know, the people are still here and, like, kind of going back to what I was saying, all the protests that I've been going to because I've been really active and just trying to get myself out there and not just be at home and posting things. I felt like it was, like, a responsibility of mine to be outside and to be protesting and to be, like, in the streets and actually, like, seeing what is happening. Um. It's really sad, though, because especially because of all the, like, the burning of buildings and everything that's been happening, like, there's a strip that if you drive down, like, it literally looks like post, like, war in the city, like, and it's so sad because I never in a million years thought that I, like, I don't know, I just never in a million years thought that this would be happening here in Minneapolis, like, it's just crazy. It's so sad, like, you drive by and it just looks like a ghost town, and it's like, wow, it's, the, the energy is definitely different because you drive down those parts of Minneapolis any day of the week. It doesn't matter Monday through Sunday, it's, it's lively. Like people are in the streets, people are driving. It's, it's like, you know, it's mm-hmm. a strip where people are shopping all the time. It's like people are always there. It's a very lively, con- diverse community also. So it's like to see it now this way, it's just, it's really sad. Um, But I don't know. I think obviously as sad as it is, um, I think this, what happened was needed. Um.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I just hope, I don't know, I hope there's solid change that comes out of this. That's all I have to say. I'm an optimist. <laughs> so
1: uh-huh. I'm,
2: I'm really hopeful that, like, something good is going to come out of this. I just pray that something good comes out of this.
1: Yeah, I'm also an optimist. And I haven't been to Minneapolis since it started, but the COO and the CEO of Epilemonia both live in Minneapolis. And so I've seen pictures of it. Um, And yeah. kind of like you have explained, I've seen pictures of streets that are burnt down and empty, but then I've also seen pictures of monuments that have been erected and walls that have been covered in art and flowers, so yeah, it's definitely, it seems to be kind of split down the middle, and I do agree with you that as unfortunate as it is, I think that the damage that is happening is all for a good cause,
0: Um,
1: so talking now, going back to um, like more about refugees and less about Black Lives Matter, so Mm -hmm. you were born in the U.S., Um, you said that your mother was a refugee. And you also live in Minneapolis with the largest Somali population in the U.S. and one of the largest Hmong refugee populations in the U.S. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you had any insight on the refugee community in the U.S. to share with people who may have some common perceptions about refugees. Yeah, um, I think, um like,
2: Obviously, like going back to what I was saying here in Minneapolis, we have the largest like refugee even community. Like, I feel like newcomers are like, hu- Minneapolis is like a huge shift for them. <laughs> um, and it, mm-hmm. honestly, I think it's great because, truth be told, I think refugees bring so much. And like, I hate to even like, you know, refer to them as like a different kind of people, but like, I think mm-hmm. people who are new, these newcomers that are coming, are first of all bringing so much culture to the city. A, and I think secondly, they are here with, like, I feel like a different ambition than anyone else is here. Like, I see kind of, like, I can only honestly speak for my own, like, within the Somali community, obviously, but, like, I see people, they come here and they come to attain, like, like this American dream, and I say that with quotations, but, like, they come mm-hmm. here and they are ready, they're passionate, they are driven, and they're just here to get a better life. And I think a lot of people are just, like, what's the right word? I'm trying to find an appropriate word to use, but I feel like people are just, don't give them a fair shot. I feel like um, they just are very biased. Um, I think they hear refugee and they're just like, they think like there's some sort of like, like, I don't know, like they're just from like another planet or something, but they're like humans Mm -hmm. just like us who are just, here to have a better life and to better the value of their life. And I think refugees come here to America and especially within the Somali community, there are so many people who came here for, again, like I was saying, to attain this American dream. And, like, now you've seen their business owners. They are, like, I always say this all the time, but the Somali community and the Somalis in Minneapolis are honestly the biggest, like, hustlers, and I appreciate it 100% because you mm-hmm. walk down some of the streets in Minneapolis and they are business owners, they own restaurants, they own stores, they are actually giving back to the economy or, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're they're very pivotal to the community. We, we are needed. And I feel like people don't appreciate that enough. Um, I feel like, obviously, things have gotten better in, during these years because I remember growing up and just it being such... Like, I feel like people treated us like, what's the right word to use? I don't even know. I, okay, time kind of going off track. But anyways, Mm -hmm, I remember being in school, being in elementary school, okay? And, like, people would come and they would look at all of us Somalis as the same, like, oh, my God, they just came to America. They don't know anything. Mind you, I'm like, hello. Like, I was born here, but okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they would all be like, oh, my gosh, they don't know anything. I would just see how they would treat. People And I'm just, like, obviously they are not, like, very fluent in English. And, like, people were just, like, bullies. Like, they were so mean. And I'm, like, I can't imagine coming to a country that I didn't, like, you know, grow up in and not knowing the culture and not knowing the language and just, like, being thrown into this, like, crazy pot and having to navigate and figure life out at that age. But I give it up to them because I know a lot of those people now are probably doing really well. And kind of, like, just going back to what I was saying, like, Somali refugees and Somali, the Somali community, the people that have migrated here, have contributed to the economy here in Minnesota so much. We, um, like, they're just so inspirational. Like, I see them, and I'm like, for you guys to have come to this country not knowing any English, not knowing anything, knowing nothing about the culture, not even be, being able to drive, you know what I mean? And to come mm-hmm. here and to make a life for yourself and to make a good life for yourself and be like pivotal people that are a part of the community, like that is beautiful. And I see that even with the monk community. I see that with, and I'm just speaking for the Somali community, obviously, because I'm Somali, but I see that with all communities. Like we have, we come here, you drive down certain parts of Minnesota, and like all you see is strips of businesses the Hmong community, the Somali community. And to me, that is amazing for you to be able to come to this country and not just make a living for yourself, but to be like, be like, I don't know, like they're entrepreneurs, you know what I mean? Entrepreneurship is not that's mm-hmm. easy, but to be able to come here and like start your own businesses and have actual successful businesses, that's incredible. Yeah, I
1: think that that's probably – one of the biggest misperceptions about refugees is the argument that they're a strain on the economy or that they're stealing jobs from americans and that's something that we really want to disprove at epimonia and it's something that muhammad malim our ceo who is himself a somali refugee who lives in minnesota um he talks about that a lot that not only are refugees not a strain on the economy and not only are they not stealing american jobs but they're actually some of the hardest workers that he's ever met and that you are now saying that you've ever met. Um, And so also like you were saying, not only do they start their own businesses, but they do it with every single barrier in their way. The language barrier, the economic barrier, the capital barrier. Um, So I I completely agree with that. And I, I hope that more people can start to see that. So how can the average American, in your opinion, empower refugee, hijabi, black, minority, any minority youth in a country that's so full of political tension and bigotry? And why is it important right now, kind of weaving back to Black Lives Matter, too, with the talk of being not only not racist, but anti-racist? So why Mm -hmm. is it so important to be going out of our comfort zones to, to do that? Yeah, I think it's
2: really important because I think it's really good to have an understanding of, like, of just human like humanity is so important, and to t- treat people decent, um, that is something that I like pride myself upon. Like I want to leave a lasting impression on any person that I meet and not just a lasting Mm -hmm. impression where it's like, Oh my God, like she is so pretty. But like, I really (laughs) want people to be like, Oh my God, like she is a kind person. Like she is a good person. Like I can go to her and I can talk to her. Like I can go to her for advice. And I see that for everyone. Like I think it's so important to be kind to one another and especially now, but just all the time. I think kindness is such a trait that is, um, like overseen and I think it's so important also like unity is a big thing like going back to kind of what I was saying earlier with the protest seeing everybody coming together like when everyone comes together we are so much more powerful we're standing shoulder by shoulder when we're there like hand in hand like we are so much more powerful and I feel like we can bring so much more to the table all Mm -hmm. together Um, I think also like it's really important to have black women and men in these, like, executive positions, whether it's with fashion, beauty brands, um, whether it's with with just not even just in the fashion and beauty industry, but with any job. I think it's Mm -hmm. so important to hire black men and women in these positions because, first of all, like, you as a company, I feel like they already are going to get a whole different perspective. Like, we bring a whole different just like aura vibe and just intellect to the table and i think it's so important also to have black women and men in these positions so that the younger community and the younger generation can have something to look up to like me growing up i wanted to be a model my entire life okay like going from watching america's next top model for like you know and i say this all the time but like I never had people that I could be like, wow, look at her, like she's doing it. She looks like a I can do it, and that's so important because had I seen that when I was younger, I probably like you know would have tried to achieve or like attain this goal a long time ago. But it took me to get older to see the first hijabi model get signed. Well, I was only twenty years old to be like, oh wow, mm-hmm. okay, maybe this is actually possible. So, and I think that's so important for the younger generation because like it's pivotal. Like, it's like they need to be able to see that, hey, listen, I belong. I can do this too. And the only way they can see that is by seeing people that look like them in these positions, by seeing people that look like them in these career fields. So I think it's so important to accept black people, accept people of different cultures, different backgrounds. And, like, we don't, I don't know. I just feel like it's 2020. We need to get it together,
1: America. Like, we we need to get it together. So. Basically, the best way to empower refugee or hijabi or black or any minority is to raise them up, amplify their voices, give them positions in representation and positions in power, and let that speak for itself for future generations. So if there are other black and or hijabi girls growing up, maybe watching America's Next Top Model, maybe reading about scientists or just aspiring Mm -hmm. towards anything where they don't see a lot of representation What advice would you give them?
2: Yeah, um, I would tell them that as uncomfortable and as difficult and trying as it's going to be, I think it's so important that we are, we have to make ourselves a seat at the table. If they're not willing to give us a seat at the table, you have to make yourself your own seat and join. Um, I'm very big on, like, me growing up. I don't, know. I, w- I don't know if I want to say it's because it's the optimist in me, but I sure. was such a risk taker. Like I would always make sure that I was in rooms with people that sometimes people would say I probably didn't belong. Like I was oftentimes mm-hmm. the only black girl, the only Muslim girl. I tried everything, whether it was theater, whether it was anything it was. Like in high school, I was the kind of girl who signed up for everything only because I thought it was so important to have, cause I don't, you don't see when you see when you don't see people that look like you in these like different, um, I don't know what to call it. And like, you know, these different areas of life and these different avenues or paths of life. you're just kind of like, why? Mm -hmm. Like, how come is it? Like, are we not allowed to? So I made it very, I took it upon myself to put myself out there all the time. So I, to any Muslim, black, hijabi, any woman who feels different who feels like she's from, like, a minority group or just feels like you're not a part of, like, you know, the – I don't know what the word I want to use here is. But I just want to say to any girl who's out there and any woman, any guy even, honestly, anyone who feels like they are indifferent, to put yourself out there – put yourself in these rooms, put your, it's as uncomfortable as it's going to be. You have to put yourself out there and you have to show people that you are deserving of these things and that like, you cannot let them strip you or like take the right of you being in these rooms from you. I know like sometimes Mm -hmm. you're not going to feel the most welcome, but I just think it's really important to just put yourself out there and don't ever, 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 ever conform or feel like you have to change yourself to attain any dream, any goal, anything, any job, regardless of what it is. You have to stay true to yourself, and that's where your power is going to come from. You have to be able to be like, listen, I'm putting my foot down. This is who I am. I'm not changing myself. And you will still get to your end goal, I promise you. You just have to be persistent, work hard. And, again, like I said, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I think it's just really important that we keep putting ourselves into these rooms, into these circles, into these conversations, and showing up. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. That's also a really good reminder for white people who never did have to look really hard to find representation, at least not Mm -hmm. based on the color of our skin in any area. Maybe Mm -hmm. when it comes to gender, that would be different, but I think it it does get really easy to take for granted how important it is to see people who look like you in any position that you could ever aspire towards. Um, So that's really important. And so for my last question that I want to ask you, Um, can you recall an act of kindness that someone has done for you at some point that you think is exemplary of how we should treat anyone who is different from us?
2: Uh, Okay, I can't think of an exact, like, off the top of my head, like, an exact, like, moment, but I Mm -hmm. just want to say that, like, um, and I want to make sure I word this in, like, the most appropriate way possible, but, like, I just want to say that in my lifetime, even though I'm a black woman, and I'm a hijabi, and I'm Somali, and I look different as heck, um, mm-hmm. I literally pick off every box of looking different. But mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here and say that, like, it's always been, like, even though, like, you know, there, ha- there are nice people out there. There are kind people out there who will you for who you are. There are people out there who will appreciate you for who you are. And I definitely just want to say that, like, again, like I can't think of an exact moment, but I've definitely met people, you can say people who aren't black, people who aren't Somali, Muslim, don't look like me at all, who have 100% appreciated me for, like, just my substance and who I am and what I bring to the table and just have rooted for me. Like, I know, for example, um when I was in high school, and this is kind of a story that I like, spoke about once before, but, like, I was a cheerleader in high school, which is something that isn't normal, obviously, to my mother, who is, you know, like, that's like, what? What are you doing, girl? But I, again, this kind of goes back to me just wanting to step into things that I was like, listen, I know girls who look like me are not supposed to do this, quote, unquote, but, like, I wanted to do it. So I was like, why not? What is stopping me? And I will never forget my cheerleading coach. Like, she took a shot at me. First, she looked at me, and she said, are you sure you're supposed to be doing this? (laughs) And I was like, you know, honestly, I don't think so, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) I literally told her verbatim. I said, listen, I don't know how my mother is going to feel about this. I don't know how anyone's going to feel about this, but I want to do it. And I remember her saying, listen. I don't care about anybody else on the outside who sees you as looking different or who sees you as, as just being weird or thinking like, you know, maybe you're not supposed to be doing this, but she's like, out of respect, I do have to speak with your mother, (laughs) (laughs) but if this is something that you want to do, she told me, I will support you. Like I know Mm -hmm. like this has probably never in a million years happened. And I went to one of the the most diverse schools in in like the inner city. Like I went to central high school in St. Paul and anyone who knows like shout out Central High School, but it is an entire melting pot. Like, you see everything, Asia, black, Mexican, um, Indi- like, anything. You see all mm-hmm. types of people. So I know that was something that probably never happened, and I don't know if it will happen <laughs> again, but to be able to be the first, you know, Somali cheerleader, I was like, oh, so cool. Many a first, like, you know. But for her to take that chance on me, to me, I was like, yo, that's alpha awesome. But she could have easily not. I was not even that great, honestly, when I first started. <laughs> but for her to take that chance on me, you know what I mean? Because I know that would have reflected – that probably was, like, a, like you know, her team is a reflection of her. So for her to take that shot and be like, listen, if you want to do this and you're going to be serious, I'm going to back you up, and I believe in you, you got this, I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And I've had many other experiences, like, I know – I just can't think right now, but I've had many other experiences where people have been like, listen, like, you – I believe in you, if this is something that you want to do, I know, like, you know, people like you, I shouldn't say people like you, but, like, you know, this isn't something that's Mm -hmm. normal, but if this is something that you want to do, I believe in you, and I back you up, and I appreciate that, I appreciate those people in my life, whether they look like me or not, who believe in me and my dreams and my goals, and see that, hey, listen, I might look different, and I might have all the odds against me, but, like, I have what it takes to do whatever it is that I set my mind to.
1: Mm-hmm. So I guess you could compress that down to take a chance on people who are different from you and definitely don't ever make assumptions about them. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is very basic, but I think always a good reminder. Yeah. Um. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ifrah. I wish you the best of luck with your career and with
0: your yeah. advocacy for the Black Lives Matter
1: movement. Yeah. No,
2: thank you guys so much for having me. This is amazing. Thank you guys.
0: That was Epimonia's Safer Room podcast with Ifrah Hashi. The music in this podcast was produced and performed by Elvis J, a refugee from Malawi now living in the U.S., and the cover art was designed and submitted by Samuel Nisabamana, a Congolese refugee now living in Rwanda, so thank you to the both of them as well. Once again, you guys can visit our website, epimonia.com, or visit us at epimonia.mn on Instagram to learn more and support the cause. Thank you for listening.